Love is an ocean, you can drown me. The sweet embrace, the lovely taste. I taste the sea, I'm under grace, the place to be. It means I'll never need an umbrella. I'm cool in the cold, in the hot weather. Whether or never I ever understand I'm a man in the hands of great plans. I stand with faith and a life I never know to touch. And still I stop my clutch, but I'm like, what's the dream of? What's the hope in? What's the love for? Live to no end. This is living. The life I've been given is a gift. If I'm a living, I'm a living to death. So what's the dream of? What's the hope in? What's the doubt for? Live to no end. This is living. The life I've been given is a gift. If I'm a living, I'm a living to death. What's up, Metro Praise International? Yeah. All right. How's everybody doing this afternoon? Oh, come on, man. Make some noise. How's everybody doing this afternoon? Yes. Awesome. Awesome, guys. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. I'm Pastor Tony. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to come worship with us this afternoon. If this is your first time here, you guys are welcome. We love you guys. Why don't we all stand up before we begin? All right. Before we begin each service, we have someone to come up and testify of what the good Lord has done in their lives. So I would like to call my brother, Brian Wampler, to come up and share. Give him a warm welcome as he comes up. Hi, everybody. So, uh, so I'm kind of really close to my father. And... Uh, so this week he went to a for a routine heart checkup because he has a stent in his heart and he already had a couple heart attacks um so the doctor said that uh they were just worried to take precaution they were they weren't sure if his heart was working fully so uh, they wanted to do a like put a shot in him to make sure like his just like some checkup to see if his heart was working and uh and they said if the thing came back negative he was gonna have to have uh, open heart surgery so I was like really uh, stressed out this week about that and really nervous about that. And um, the Lord put this uh, scripture in my heart and it kind of really comforted me. It's in, uh, one second, it's in Proverbs, Proverbs 18.10, I think. Yeah, Proverbs 18.10, it says, The name of the Lord is my strong tower. The righteous will run to it and are safe. So uh, the Lord really comforted me with that scripture, and uh, it really gave me peace, and I trusted in his provision for me. And uh, my father went back and praised God. He had a healthy report, and uh, he doesn't have to stay in the hospital. He doesn't need surgery. So, uh, yeah, I just really trusted God, and uh, he came through. So, amen. That's just my testimony. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, God, we thank you, God, and we trust you, Lord. We thank you, God, for the provision that you have over our lives, God, that you come for us, God, in our times of need, God. 
and that you make all things work together, God, for those who love you, God. We love you, God, and we praise you. We thank you this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. worshiping and put your hands together you guys can come forward towards this altar if you just want to go deeper today
wake us up, Lord. Oh, wake me up again, God. Because we know that you will never fade, God. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. And only you can awaken our spirits, arouse our hearts, God, to burn for you and to burn brightly and to love deeper. Because you are worthy, God. You are so worthy, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Come and have your way, oh Lord. We surrender all to you. Come sit here inside. Inside your presence, taken by the wonder of you. Inside your glory, give us fully to you. We set our lives 
Sing it is to be in your presence, God. Oh, in your presence, Jesus. Here with you. Here with you. I can't help but think about that story in the Bible. And this was after Jesus has died and he's rose again and they had gone to the tomb to see what had happened because they got reports that he's no longer there. They were thinking that people had messed with him, took the body, right? And as they're walking, right, some of the disciples, another person appears and they're having this conversation about this whole thing, about Jesus and, and the tomb and he's not there. And the Bible says that didn't our hearts burn while he was with us? There's something about being in the presence of God when you're face to face, when you're talking to God, that your heart burns inside. And that's the Holy Spirit right inside of you. Come on, that's, that's the hope of new life, Jesus, in our hearts. And I know for a fact that when we sing, he's doing it in this, in this moment. He's igniting hearts. He's bringing hearts closer. I don't know how he's doing it or what he's saying to you personally, but I know that in this time of worship, he's bringing us closer through the power of his Holy Spirit. And so I'm just going to say that as we sing these next couple songs, that you would allow God to come into your heart and burn. Whatever is in there, if there's sin, come on, if there's confusion, if there's fear, whatever there is, God, burn it off of you. He's an all-consuming fire. So right now, as we prepare to sing this next song, God, would you stay with us? God, would you burn in our hearts? God, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Let's just take these next couple of moments, just you and the Lord, right now.
Because if we know your heart, then we can draw even nearer, God, because we can live our lives on fire for you, God. When we know what your heart is, when our heart burns inside of us, God, because we know you are near, when we know the things of God, we know you personally, we know your attributes, we understand who you are. We can have this closeness with you that we've, we've never known. We can do things that we've never done before, Lord. 
reveal your heart to us that we may be changed, God, that we may look more like you, Jesus, and less like ourselves, God, because you are the most selfless being in the universe. And your love, it's not just about our love for you, but it's about your love for us, God, and that changes us. Because you say in your word that this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God, it's about your love for us. God, and we want to reciprocate that love back to you. I just want to take this moment. Let's sing this chorus again. And if you haven't just meant it or that you've just been reading it off the screen, make it personal. Pull me a little closer, God. Take me deeper, Jesus. I want to know perfect peace so I pray today for all of us that we would know that peace that passes all understanding and that we would just draw so much nearer than we ever have thank you God for giving us love and for giving us joy and for giving us peace and for just loving us when we fall short We just thank you and we worship you today in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said amen and amen. And give the Lord a hand clap of praise for he is good, he is worthy. Amen and amen. If you guys would just take your seat, I want to take this moment to just preach the gospel to you. We do this every week because it's so important. In 2 Corinthians 
The Word of God says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. And it's such an awesome promise. It's not just words on a page, but it's a promise that when you understand what Jesus did for you, when you understand that he came to earth because his love was so great for us and he knew there was no other way that we could be with him because we were eternally separated. So he came down and he said, I will give my life for them that they may be with me forever. And so the promise is that when we say, Jesus, I love you, I surrender my life in, in place, God, of yours, that I may take on your life. It says, so if you are in Christ, the new creation has come. The old you, the you that messed up, the you that got drunk, got wasted, got, even if you were the good person in the world, it's gone. When you could say that, Jesus, I give my life to you, I believe that you suffered, you died, you bled for me, that you took my sins on that cross and I am no longer the same and I surrender my life to you and I give you all that, that I am, all that I have done and I surrender it to you, you are the Lord of my life and that is all that he asks. And then the promise is that you don't have to live under the old yoke. You don't have to live under the past sin. You don't have to go walking around the world saying, I'm just a sinner. Because no, you are a new creation. The old is gone. It is wiped away. It is thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. And that you are the new creation. You can walk forward in your life saying, I am a saint, saved by God, redeemed by grace. And I have the faith that my Jesus is coming back for me. I am no longer who the world said I was because I am who Jesus says I am. And when I stand before God, it's Jesus that he sees, not the old me. Amen? And that is the promise for you. If you don't understand or you don't have that assurance, you need to get that assurance. And we are going to have prayer workers right here at, during our time of fellowship. If you feel like, man, I got to get right. I want to be assured that my old is gone and my new has come. I need that peace of God. I want you to come up and, and just get prayed for. And I just want to take this time to just pray with you. So if you guys would just close your eyes. And bow your heads, and if you guys would just stand up with me as we pray. Stand up with me. Thank you. Father God, you are wonderful. You are holy. You are awesome. Thank you, God, for taking my place. Thank you for doing what I cannot do. Thank you for taking my old self and throwing it away because I don't want to look at that person anymore. I don't want to remember her or him anymore. I want to be who you called me to be, a sinner that has been redeemed, a saint saved by grace through faith. We thank you, God, for, for just doing that for us. And we just pray that moving forward, that we would always remember that we are a new creation and that the old is gone and the new has come. In Jesus' mighty name. And we all said amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise because he is good. And then we are going to recite this confession of faith together on the count of three. 
This is our Christian worldview. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen and amen. Greet your neighbor. Give someone a high five. Tell them you love them and that you're glad they're here.
Good morning, everybody. Let me take a moment to introduce myself. My name is Jerry. I am a campus pastor here at Metro Praise International. We just want to welcome you guys. Come on back to your seats. Um, Thank you for making this your church home today. We're so glad to see you in the house of the Lord. Uh, we have two services here at MPI. We have one at 10 a.m. and one at 1 p.m. You're at the 1 p.m. service. I'm so glad you're here. And then we have Elevate. Let's do that again. Elevate. All right, that is our youth group. Elevate Youth Services for ages 11 to 18, Friday nights here at the church, 7 p.m. You don't want these young people to miss it. They are moving and grooving for Jesus. They are going, they're starting Christian clubs at their schools. It is awesome what God is doing in this city, and this city needs its young people to be on fire for Jesus. Amen? And then I want to talk to you guys about October 30th. Say, everybody say, what's up? All right, God's presence and his presence, okay? So this is going to be a great service. Brother Holtz is going to be here bringing us into just into the into the Lord's presence. It's going to be amazing service. You don't want to miss it. Invite your friends, your family, your neighbors, some random person on the street cuz they all need to know what God's presence is like. Amen. Then I want to talk to you guys about our vision, our strategy, and our goal. We want to connect you through life groups. We want to mentor you with the 101 and the 201. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism because we have a goal, right? We want 100,000 disciples in the city of Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you guys believe it, say amen. Amen. So then let me tell you what we got going on this week alone, okay? We want our life groups today, marriage life group meeting at the church, 5 p.m. All the married people say, hey, we're going to learn to laugh with our spouse. It's going to be amazing. Then Tuesday, we have the resistance life group. This is for 11 to 18 years old. This is part of our youth group. You know a young person, send them here, 6 p.m. at the church, Tuesday night. Every single Wednesday, King's Kids. This means zero to 11 years old. All the mamas said, hey. And we're really excited to drop our kids off so they can grow up knowing the Lord. We have Royal Rangers for boys and Impact for girls. This is amazing. I can't wait for Nate to get bigger so he can really participate in these activities. Thursday night, gang outreach. They meet here at the church and they go out targeting, you know, gangbangers so that they can win them to Jesus and change this city because that's the only thing that's going to change this city is Jesus. Friday night, we have two adult Bible studies, 18 years and up, one at Pastors Griselda and Eddie Berto Govea, and then at our house, Friday night, 7 o'clock. You got to be there. It's awesome. All right, then we want to we want to mentor you with our 101 and our 201, one-on-one, meeting with a mentor. This is so vital to your walk with the Lord. We're going to teach you how it is to just walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus and how to listen and hear his voice. Those things are so important to your, to your life. And then we want to send you into 201 after we... we we send you to 101, you go to 201, and this means we're going to train you up 
to be a disciple that makes disciples to change the world for Jesus because we believe all Christians should be leaders, leaders in your home, leaders at work, and leaders in the church. Amen? And then we want to send. Everybody say send. We're going to send you out to do evangelism. We meet here Saturdays from 5 to 8 p.m. every week. We also go out before Life Group. We are a church that loves God, and we love people. And that part of how we love them is by sharing the good news with them, right? So again, we want to connect you to Jesus, to the Life Groups. We want to mentor you with the 101, the 201. We want to send you out to change the world for Jesus. Our vision is to love God and love people. And then our goal is 100,000 disciples in Chicago, 50 churches, and 500 around the world. Amen. Hallelujah. Then we're going to talk to you about tithes and offerings. Tithes, we believe, is 10% of your total income given regularly to the church. That is what the Word of God teaches us, and so we adhere to it. And then there's two ways to give your offering, is to missions and to building. So I want to take you guys to our giving book. We are in Lesson 14, which says, Stewards Leave an Inheritance. The definition, stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. What did God entrust us with? Everything. Amen? So let's go to Proverbs 13, 22. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Amen. I'm glad to be the righteous because I want an inheritance. Amen. A good person. Let's go to this main point. Good person. The Bible, especially the book of Proverbs, commands people to do good by forsaking evil. Therefore, it is a good thing for Christians to leave an inheritance for their children and grandchildren. We want to support our kids, right? And we want to give them good things, but it's also nice when we get to leave a little something for them behind so that they can continue to move forward in their lives. Two, leaves an inheritance. An inheritance is basically the act of passing on material goods, wealth, and property to someone else after you die. The Bible states that our inheritance should primarily be given to our children and grandchildren. Well, I want to leave my kids an inheritance because Let's, let's face it, you know, they are our heirs, but we are heirs to the kingdom of God. We are heirs to Jesus, and that is amazing because that's the kind of rewards I want to receive. Amen? And so sinners' wealth. Those sinners, non-Christians, may give an inheritance to their family now. Ultimately, everything they have will remain on earth after they die. As a result, Jesus comes back to reign upon the earth for a thousand years. All their wealth will belong to the righteous. It's good to be righteous. But we can't take it. Everything we do on this earth, like, if it's not for Jesus, it's just going to get left here. So do what you do for the Lord. In summary, work hard and plan ahead so that you can give your family an inheritance. And how do we do this? Be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income, and offerings, anything you give after the tithe. Two, start planning your inheritance by living below your expenses so that you can save and invest the excess. God gives us excess, so use it wisely. Three, make a will, purchase life insurance, and set goals for your savings. Amen? So let us confess this together on the count of three. One, two, three. 
God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Again, tithes are 10% of our total income. We give that faithfully. And then offerings, anything you give above and beyond. We believe that we should give an offering to the Lord. And on your envelopes, you can delegate certain monies to missions and certain monies to buildings, and it all honors the Lord. So good seed into the kingdom. And we have four ways to give here at Metro Praise. We have these wonderful buckets up here at the front, the wall-mounted drop boxes in the back. In the back after service, you can see me with a debit or credit card, and then online with Chase QuickPay, PayPal, and BillPay, which is www.mpichurch.org forward slash giving you guys would stand with me as we get ready to pray for these offerings. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for being the God of abundance, for being Jehovah Jireh, God, our provider, Lord. And I pray that you would give your wisdom to us, your financial wisdom, and how we can live below our means so that we can store up this inheritance for our children, that we may live debt-free lives, and that we can just do everything to honor and to serve you. So I pray that you would just bless this offering, bless the gift and the giver, Lord, that we may be blessed to be a blessing to others. And we just love you, Lord. We rejoice in you, and we give back to you all that you deserve. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Rejoice as you give. Ah, and get ready for a great service. All right, how many ready to learn about children of God today? Woo! Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a child of God. Amen, amen. You might find out they're a child of the devil and they just lied to you, but we're going to believe by faith right now they're a children of God. Can I hear an amen? Welcome to Metro Praise International, where we keep it real, where we keep it real, where we let people know if they're children of God or children of the devil. How many want to be a child of God? How many are already sure in your heart right now you know you're a child of God? 
Amen. So you have assurance of that. And we won't ask you if you know you're a child of the devil. We won't do that, embarrass you. But there's always new people in our church, and we want to teach you about this. And some of the old folks forget who they are and start acting like a child of the devil and need to be reminded of what God said in his word. And so open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. I want to share with you today this whole passage, and then we'll close out today's message on the introduction of the, uh, the book of John. So these first two weeks were on the introduction, and then the next seven weeks will be on the seven signs that John gives us to believe in Jesus. Now, many of us say we already believe in Jesus, but these signs will be great to go over to be encouraged by why Jesus performed these miracles and these signs. And so last week, I asked you guys to read John chapter 1. How many re read John chapter 1? Yes, my favorite right there. That's my favorite. Everybody want to know who my favorite is? Raise your hand nice and high. Okay, do I got two favorites, three favorites, four favorites? Okay, this is what I, sh I wish I could do right now. I really wish I could give 20 bucks to those who just raised their hands because I would literally do it in front of all the rest of you guys, especially if you were here last week and you know better. Like I would literally just want to give you that $20 right in front of all these folks because I do that with my kids all the time. I tell them, you know, like you guys do good, you get treats. You don't do good, you don't get any treats. And sometimes they'll do bad. And I wasn't even planning on even giving any treats today, you know, but I'd be like, oh, you were bad. Oh, you missed out on a good treat. And I'll like run over here and like grab something. And I'll be like, make, I will make sure I will give that treat right in front of that misbehaving child. I'll be like, look, Bethany, look what Hannah gets and you get none. You don't get this treat. I'm not giving her like a stapler or a paper clip because I make sure to know when you bad, you don't get the treat. And I wish right now I could just pull out a hundred, a thousand to be like, y'all get none. You get it, because I want y'all to feel bad. No, I'm kidding, half kidding. I want y'all to read your Bible. You better be reading your Bible. All I asked you last week was to read John chapter 1. What is wrong with you guys? First service didn't do any better, by the way, but y'all better read John chapter 2 next week. How many can read John chapter 2? You open your Bible, you read it, and guess what? If you can't read very well, you go to Apple, iTunes, there's a hip-hop version of the Bible. It's a song, beats playing in the background, and they read the Bible to you. You can get it, Street Lights, Street Lights, and they have the book of John on there, John chapter 2. And you want to know how long it is? You want to know how long the whole entire thing is? You know how much I'm asking of your time this week? Five minutes. Five minutes. So I feel if you don't come here with John chapter 2, you will be punished. Then the ones who read John chapter 2 are going to get paid. Tell me what kind of money would, like, make you excited. Like, would $1,000 make you excited? What if I had $1,000 next week for everybody who read John chapter 2? Now, listen, what if I was serious and I told you, man, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. I will come here with stacks. I will come here with $10,000, $20,000 ready to give it out. Cash. Cash. I'm talking real. I'm not even playing. Like, you come here and I got cash. I got 20, 30 Jesus sitting up here large waiting to see who read it. And let's say you read it, and I go, okay, well done. And I trust you, right? And I'm like, well done. Here you go. Here's a stack. Here's, here, and I'll get it like in 20s or something, so it's like a big stack. Like, you know what I'm talking about, $1,000 in 20s. Maybe get it in one, so it's like like two stacks, you know? Like you call up on, hello, what's up? It's just money saying you paid, you know? You hold the money. like You know how they do that anyways. So I hand it to you. 
Would you do it? Most of you would. Let's just be honest. Most of you would take it serious. But is not your soul worth more than that? Is not your soul worth more than $1,000? So if $1,000 would motivate you, change you, get you to do it, how much more so should you do it for your soul, for the, the, the God blessing of knowing Him, growing closer to Him, and having eternal treasures in heaven? So please, for your sake and for a better audience and participation, read the book before you get here, okay? Read what I'm going to talk about before you get here. Now, for those of you who read John chapter 1, you're my favorites, okay? I love you. And uh, you know what someone could have did even just right now? They could have read John chapter 1 while I was talking about bribing you to read John chapter 1. That's how much time I just took on this. So I hope you guys read your Bible. Look at your neighbor and say, read your Bible. Okay. So today's message, we're going to learn about children of God. Last week we talked about in the beginning we learned about who Jesus is and how he's the, uh, the pre-incarnate word equal to the Father. Well, we are going to start in that same passage and read all the way down to verse 18, but our main text today will be verses 9 and onward, children of God. Everybody say children of God. Thank you. Look at John verses 1 to 18 in chapter 1 here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Do you think you could say that by memory? How many think you guys could say John chapter 1 by uh, verse 1 by memory? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's get a Bible college student up here. Ulysses, let's give you a shot. Let's give it up for you, Lee. Can you break down John 1, 1, baby? Drop it like it's hot. Just quote it for me. That's all I mean, baby. Come on, dap it up. Let's go one, two, three, and then like this. Or pop, 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 pow. I don't know. I just made that up. <laughs> okay, so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Whoa, my man. I appreciate that. You got a free Dairy Queen now. Well, you can preach. Look at you. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Look at you. I like that attitude, though. But he did win himself a free blizzard at Dairy Queen. You know what I'm saying? You don't want the Dairy Queen? Oh, man, you, I'll take free Dairy Queen. I've got, I got a lot of Dairy Queen in here right now. That's why I'm trying to lose it. How about somebody on this side? Who can break down or record it for me? Jerry, I know you're awesome. Jerry did a great job. Let's give it up for Jerry Bear, Pastor Jerry. My wife is home sick. Uh, my wife's not sick. My oldest daughter is sick, so she's home with her. Uh, somebody on this side, John 1-1, that's not a pastor. Someone that's not a pastor. I don't want to put you on the spot, but somebody on this side. Let's put it this way. I'm not preaching until someone on this side does it. Or oh, you're going to do it. My favorite's going to do it. Come on, let's give it up for Maria. Looking all nice coming to church with her handsome, muy guapo husband, Alex. I love you guys. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Thank you. Awesome. So that is so important to know. This is a beautiful passage. I hope that you guys are inspired by it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. How many remembering what we learned last week? If you were here, learn something good about this. 
You guys got some good nuggies, right? Let's keep going now now in the context. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And this is not the author of the book of John. This is John the Baptist. The disciple John wrote the Gospel of John and also the book of Revelation and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So how many books total did John write? Five. The Gospel, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now here's what we're going to be preaching on today, verses 12 and onward. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the what? The right. Everybody say the right. He gave them the what? The right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of who? born of God. Thank you. And continue on. The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried, this is the one that I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He came before me. You guys get that? John the Baptist says, He comes after me in the scene of life right now, but he really comes before me in the scene of creation. He wasn't, cre Jesus didn't start existing at the virgin birth. He just came into flesh. Jesus existed before all creation. In the beginning was the Word. Look at verse, seven, uh, verse 16. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace and place of grace already given. How many want more grace? Jesus gives us all that we'll ever need. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and in his closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So I want you to think about this as we begin to talk about the children of God. You guys know in verses 1 through 5 that the Word is Jesus and that He's there in the beginning with God the Father and He's equal to God the Father. Through Jesus, all things were made. And that includes us. That includes the universe. Everything that you see was made by Jesus. So never get it twisted. Never forget Jesus is not a created being. Jesus created everything. Then in verse 4 it says, In him was life, and that life became the light of all mankind. And we talked about how in the garden Jesus breathed into us the breath of life. Do you remember that? Man, a male and female, was made in the image of God. He breathed into Adam and gave him life. And then the Bible says that the life he gave him by his breath became the light of all mankind. The light of all mankind is your consciousness. Animals may have life. They may breathe in and out air and oxygen, have a heart that beats, you know, mammals, these kind of animals. But they do not have the light of their conscience. That's what makes you different than an animal. So when God breathed into us personally, the personal touch of God receiving his personal breath made us not just a living being, but an enlightened living being. That's why we cannot believe in evolution, because evolution teaches that you came through a goo, through 
through molecules to man, to, from the goo through the zoo to you. And we know that mind does not come from matter. Living things do not come from non-living things. And conscious being, enlightenment, does not come by random chance. You can no more get Shakespearean plays out of a printing press that's blown up you cannot get a Shakespearean play out of a printing press that's blown up. How much more so do you think you could get consciousness and a brain and a mind out of, out of the, the human organs if you had to blow them up or out of flesh? Flesh did not come together by accident. God formed it, and your consciousness did not come by accident. It came from the breath of God. In him was life, and that life became the light of all mankind. And look at this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That means no matter how sinful man has become or with the sin that we choose to do, the light of our consciousness shows us we're wrong on the inside. And when God brings his word to us, it shows us that we need him. It's almost like a magnet. When the word is preached, our heart is drawn towards the word. You have to actually resist God, rebel against God. God to go to hell, to go to heaven, all you have to do is surrender and let him draw you in. Surrender saves you. Rebellion sends you to hell. Does everybody see the difference? So the light and the consciousness will naturally draw you to the Lord. Now we're going on to the places where we haven't been before. Verses 6, 7, and 8 talks about John the Baptist. He was sent to come as a forerunner to Jesus. He was that wild, crazy guy, didn't really cut his hair, probably had dreadlocks, smelled. He lived outdoors, ate locusts. Has anybody ever ate a locust before? I know some people in Mexico, they like to eat crickets, and I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying it because I've seen the Salma Mahayik, or what's their name? Salma Mahayik? Salma Hayek. I'm not making it all one word. What's the first part of her name? Salma. Salma. There we go. Old Salma showed me one time on a YouTube video her eating crickets. Look it up if you don't believe me. And, and uh, I would eat crickets, by the way, because I eat crawfish. Does anybody know what crawfish are? They're mud bugs. That's another nickname for them. They live in the mud, and they look like little lobsters. We, uh, in New Orleans, we would boil them. We would uh, then put spices on them, and I know Josh loves them because we would tear it up at Mardi Gras. And then you take them, you split their body in half, you get the tail, get the tail out with your mouth, and then you suck on the brains and the goo of the body, and then you throw it down and do it again, and you feel like you're quite the conquistador when you're handling business with crawfish. But uh, here's the thing. John the Baptist was sent out into the wilderness to wear camel's hair, camel's skin. You know, it's kind of the, the, uh, the cloth he had on or the, the clothes he had on, rather. Ate wild locusts and honey. I don't know why they told us his diet. Probably just to show us how crazy he was in the Bible. And then uh, he went out preaching, and he was telling everybody, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, Jesus is coming. Now, here's what happens, though, in 9 and onward, is the true light came into the world, and even though he was the one who made the world, the world did not recognize him. Did the, did the world recognize Jesus and all proclaim him as Lord, or did they kill him and treat him bad? They crucified him, didn't they? You don't crucify somebody you love. Think about that just for a minute, how controversial Jesus was, that they would actually have him crucified. He never raised a sword. He never threatened anybody. But his teaching got under the skin of so many people because it was so against what they thought was right that they had to kill him in their mind to shut him up.
But we know this was the plan of God, that he came to die for our sins. And so it says his own did not receive him. And the own there that it's talking about is the Jewish people. When Adam and Eve sinned and were cast out of the Garden of Eden, Noah's flood came just a, a short time later. And then after Noah's flood, we have all of the cultures of the world coming from that time. Noah and his wife were on the boat and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And these three are the ones that when the Tower of Babel came and God separated mankind according to their language is where all the people groups of the world came from. So there's not many races, one human race come from Adam, but then specifically through Noah and his children. Now, we see that through the lineage of Shem is where God called Abraham out of. Abraham was a part of a place called Ur of the Chaldean. So he was a Chaldean person living in a place called Ur. And God said, I'm choosing you to start my special nation, my special group of people. And through Abraham having Isaac and then Isaac having the son Jacob and then Jacob having many sons, they became the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And if you remember, God changed. Jacob's name from schemer that's what Jacob means to Israel prince of God and his sons became the 12 tribes then they moved to Egypt with Joseph because there was a famine in their land and Joseph found favor with the Pharaoh but over a period of time the Pharaohs uh, as that Pharaoh died new Pharaohs came and turned against the Israelite people and oppressed them for 400 years and then that's when God raises up Moses Moses gets the people to leave the uh, leave Egypt come into the promised land then in the promised land they don't always do what's right so God's sending them prophets and trying to speak to them and then what happens is they get oppressed by different nations because they're not listening to God first Assyria then Babylon then uh, Mesopotamia or the Medes and Persians rather the Persians like you see in the movie 300 the Persian Empire was taking over the world Persia also took over them and then Greece took over Persia, then Rome took over Greece. When you see Jesus on the scene, Jesus is living in an occupied land. The Roman government and their kings and their rulers are ruling over them, harshly mistreating them. And they thought, and I said all of this to say this, they thought the Jewish people from the promises of their prophets that when the Messiah came, he was going to be like your guy from Star Wars, Luke Skywalker. He was going to kill the bad people, stop Darth Vader, do the bad, uh, put down the bad and lift up the good. But Jesus didn't come to conquer the world. He came to conquer our hearts. And that's why they missed him. Jesus came to die for sins, not kill sinners. Now there is a judgment day to come. Jesus literally will rule in Jerusalem. Enemies will be put down. This is what we call Armageddon, where the final battle comes. Jesus then rules with his people. But the time period they had messed up because they only saw the judgment and Jesus coming to rule as the Messiah. They didn't understand that Jesus wanted to die for the world to save the world from its sin. Now, this should have been obvious to them, though some got it, many of them missed it, because they had a sacrificial order way back from Cain and Abel. Remember, one brings animals, other one brings uh, the fruit. Well, the Bible says God blessed Abel because he brought the first of his, uh, of his animals, and he made it as a sacrifice. So that's why uh, Cain killed him, because he brought his leftover fruit. He brought that fruit that was sour and spoiled, and be like, here, take that, God. 
But at the very beginning, there was offering and sacrifice, offering and sacrifice. And the sacrifice, the sacrifice was of animals and of blood. And that followed all the way through with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were always making sacrifices. Then God told Moses and the law, uh, through the law, how to make those sacrifices. And so when Jesus came, he came to be the fulfillment of the Passover lamb, the greatest sacrifice of Jewish history. When they were being delivered out of uh, Egypt, these Egyptians were treating them so harshly, they wouldn't let them go. And as the final punishment, God said, I'm going to kill their firstborn now, which is sad. It's sad. I'm going to kill their firstborn. And he said, the way you don't die is you put, you kill an animal and you put their blood over your doorstep and the death angel will pass over you. Passover. And that became their famous festival, Passover. And the Passover lamb is what they killed, sacrificed, and ate. Are you guys listening? So Jesus came to be the Passover lamb, not the conquering king. And so he came, verse 11, he came to that which was his own, the Jewish people, but his own did not receive him. Now watch this, yet to all, not just Jewish people, now all nations, to anyone who does receive him, to those who believe in his name, everybody say receive and believe, receive and believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, not born, not children born of natural descent or human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. And so what this teaches us right here is that Jesus was saying, I'm not picking favorites according to who your ancestors are. I'm not going just to Israel now. I'm opening this thing up to everybody. So if y'all don't want me, he's saying to the Israelites, if y'all don't want me, I will go to the pagan Greeks. I will go to the Romans. I will go to India. I will go to China. I will go to North America. I will go everywhere. And whoever receives and believes gets me, and they get the right to become children of God. And that's what we'll be talking about today. And then it says the Word became flesh. So God became flesh. God the Son became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That Greek word dwelling literally means He pitched His tent alongside of us. He came to live with us as a full man. He didn't come as a superman. He humbled himself from his divine powers and walked as a man. And some of you may say, well, how did he do miracles? He did that by the Holy Spirit. You remember his baptism? Jesus in the water, Father speaking from heaven. What comes down in the form of a dove and rests on him? The Holy Spirit. He showed us what man can do with the Holy Spirit. He was our example. But nonetheless, he was still God. He was God. He did it as God. Uh, he did it as man, God in man, nonetheless. Then it says, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, full of grace and truth. Jesus is not 50% truth and 50% grace. He is 100% grace, 100% truth. Some people get hung up on this. All they want to do is emphasize on grace. Jesus loves me. Jesus forgives me. But they never want to hear the truth that Jesus sets you free from sin. Jesus changes you. Listen, you have to have 100% of both. They're not 50-50. You cannot be offended by God's grace nor be offended by his truth and the more you learn about his truth is the more you should be learning about his grace and the more you learn about his grace is the more you should learn about his truth you should accept from Jesus the wrath the punishment that is to come you shouldn't say bad Jesus let me teach you the Oprah Winfrey way of handling problems no you should be like I'm cool with judgment Jesus at the same time you should be cool with Jesus forgiving the adulterous woman you should also be okay with Jesus forgiving homosexuals and you not judging by a standard that Jesus didn't judge by so those who are heavy with, with grace and no truth, they don't have an idea of judgment, and they lack the true sense of God's discipline. Those who are heavy on truth and understand God's judgment can lack the idea of God's love and compassion. Jesus was full of grace and truth, both. How much of grace and truth do you want? I want it all. I want both, amen? 
And so John testified about him, and this is where we talked about before. He said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. It sounds confusing, but if you understand who Jesus is, it's really not. He who comes after me by birth. Remember, John the Baptist was born before Jesus. He was a little bit older than Jesus. He was cousins with Jesus. So John the Baptist was born first. He's an older cousin. He gets to pick on right his, his younger cousin. But he then goes, hold on, I can't do that with Jesus because Jesus surpassed me because he was actually way before me. He's in the beginning. He was the one that created him, you know. Then it says, out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. How many know you need grace in place of grace? God's grace is without end. God will forgive us over and over and over again. So God was gracious in the Old Testament. Jesus comes just to give us more grace. It's so wonderful. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the law was incomplete, only, uh, only emphasizing what we do wrong. Really, you know, not lying just shows what you do wrong. It didn't show us how to have peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, all the things of the Spirit. So the law was more one-sided. Don't do this. Don't do this. And every now and then it emphasized some of the things you were supposed to do. But Jesus came saying, I'm not here just telling you what you shouldn't do. I want to tell you what the life of God looks like. I want to show you what you were created for. That's why Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He said the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But he came to give you that abundant life. And then let's read verse 18 together on the count of three. One, two, three. No one has ever but the one. I think y'all got to start over. Come on. I want everybody. Verse 18. One, two, three. No one. But the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. And so you summarize these first 18 verses as the prologue of John. He has what we call a high Christology. He has a high honor and respect of Jesus. He shows you from verse 1 to 18 that those are the two buns. You know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Oh, wow, so the Word is God. That's, that's like the top bun. And this bottom bun, verse 18, is no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only Son, who is himself God, in his close relationship to the Father, has made him known. It's like, oh, but the Word has come down to make known God. And then all those other verses in between are like the meat explaining to you why Jesus did what he did. And so let us look now to the passage for today about being children of God. Because what you're going to see here is that not everybody is a child of God. And you'll talk to people on the streets and they'll say, you know, everybody's God's child. And, you know, I, you know, I believe everybody's, you know, God's child and we're all the same in that way. And it's, it's not true. If they're saying we're all God's creation, that is true. We all come from one race, the human race that God created. But we're all not God's children. Let's see if you can catch it this time as we go over it again. The true light that gives light was coming into the world. He was in the world, though the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What do we see right here at the very beginning is that light's coming into the world, assuming there's darkness in the world. And then we're seeing that people are rejecting him. And so that means those who are rejecting them are staying in darkness. And then now it says what makes the difference between those who get the light and those who don't, those who are children of God and those who are not, are those who receive him. So what receiving gives us here is the impression of a gift. Jesus is not a divine kidnapper. Jesus doesn't come down with the angel Gabriel with a white van and pull up next to our, our jobs and go, hey, psst, kid, come over here. And then he opens up the side of the van and go, you want some gold? And maybe they brought some gold from heaven. It's glittering inside the van. And like you peek your head in there, oh, maybe. And all of a sudden Jesus brings you in. Hey, come here. <laughs> Grabs you and shuts the door. Go, Gabriel, go. 
and they drive away. That's not how Jesus saves us and brings us to heaven. The, the key here is to all those who received him. That also gives us the impression that we can reject him. Wasn't he not received by those of his own? That means we can also reject him. And then it says, though those who believed in him. Now we begin to understand that salvation in the kingdom of God is not going to be by works. This is not going to be a religion of do this, do this, do this to be this. Do, 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 do. If all you have is a bunch of works and a bunch of do, do, it's going to stink. The Bible says our righteousness apart from being saved first is as filthy rags to Jesus. So there's nothing I can do to earn the right to become a child of God. How do I become a child of God? Receive and believe. Receive and believe. What does receive get us to think about? A gift. A gift. Do you want to receive the gift? God's not going to force it on you. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus says he stands at the door and knocks at our heart and invites, uh, and, and, and we're supposed to invite him in. And he's, and he's saying, come sup with me. So it's basically like he came and brought his own food, and he's knocking at the door going, hey, you want me to come in and eat with you today? Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't you love somebody show up at your house with some food? I got some elotes. Hey, let me in. I got, I got some, oh, you know, out of cheddar. Come on, let me in. I'll cook it with you. Y'all look at me like, that's racialist. Okay. I got some pizza. Let me in. <laughs> you know, and you want to know what Pastor Joe snacks are, like Scooby snacks. Joe snacks are popcorn. I got some popcorn. I grew up eating popcorn. I just love popcorn. And every time I smelled, I go, mmm, okay, let me get some of that. And I have learned to make movie-style popcorn at my house, and the trick is not butter. It's a certain kind of oil that you get. I was always trying to put the butter on there, the melted butter, and it's not it. If you go to the movie theaters and you go and push that button, you see it come down. That is not butter. It's a, it's a, a goldish-looking oil, and you can find it at the grocery store. It's actually called movie-style butter oil thing, and that is what makes it taste like butter. It's not real butter, because if you think about it, they're pushing that button, all that butter coming out, that would be a lot of money. It's a certain kind of oil. And then the second thing is it's a salt with a butter flavor that they put on. If you see them shaking it over like that, you've got to have this certain kind of oil. Redenbacher makes it with a certain kind of butter flavor salt, and it will literally taste like you've been in the movie theater. That's a Pastor Joe snack, okay? <laughs> Anyways, you're thinking about that right now, but let's go back to thinking about this. The whole point is he's knocking at the door. He's got the popcorn. He's ready to make it. He's got the out of chair. He's wanting to hang out. And he's saying, do you receive me? Do you welcome me? You're not saved on your good works. You're, you're saved on your surrender. You're saved on your receiving. And when you let God into your life, he wants to go all up in your house. He wants to go into your closets, into your rooms. He wants to go underneath your bed. He's not going to be like our typical guests, like when we have over at our house, you know. Because if you come over like unannounced with some food, I'll still let you. I'll be like, man, yeah, come on and bring that food. But I'm going to be like, let me shut my, my bedroom door. Let me shut this door. I don't want you going in there. You're just going to stay in the living room. But see, when Jesus comes knocking on the door, he wants to go in every part of your life. He wants to go into the places where you hide from everybody else, the things that make you ashamed and, and embarrassed, whatever those sins are, or what people have hurt you and done to you. He wants to have all of you. So it takes surrender. It takes belief. And what does belief refer to? Trust. Receiving has to do with surrender. It has to do with receiving a gift. And believing has to do with trust. Now watch this. He gave them the right to become children of God. What a privilege. I get the right to become a child of God, a privilege. I get an honor. I don't deserve it. All I have to do is let him come into my life, and he will give me that right. Now, the opposite is true. Watch this. 
Watch this. If I don't receive Jesus, if I don't believe in Jesus, do I have the right to be a child of God? No, that's a sad part, isn't it? And this, if it says I have the right to become a child of God, doesn't that already take for granted that I'm not a child of God until I receive him? It does. I'll become something different when I receive him. So if I'm not a child of God, when am I, until I, when am I before I receive Jesus? When am I a child of the, the devil? Because that's, that's what we are by birth. Now, thankfully, God is kind to our children and says, the children, they get the kingdom of heaven. They don't know the right from wrong. They haven't made that choice yet. But he says to all of us of age that are of consciousness, that are enlightened, that have the ability to make a choice, he says, you better receive me. You better believe in me because that's the only way to get the right to become a child of God. And then you see here, it's children of God, not born of natural descent, human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. And so what that means is, to the Jewish mindset, they were born of natural parents by sexual desire through a husband's will and became Israelites. That's how they inherited their Jewish citizenship was by birth. And because they were Jewish, they felt they were religiously superior to non-Jewish people. And Jesus is now saying, this doesn't come from your parents. This doesn't come from sexual things, sexual desire. It's not a natural birth. And it doesn't come from the husband showing up to the mama going, let's get it on. It doesn't come from the husband's desire. But they're born of, but born of God. Everybody together. But born of God. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, have we been born of God? Have we received and taken in Jesus into our life? Have we surrendered all the things of our room, that heart we were talking about? Have we, have we surrendered as we've received? Think about that. When I received my wife into my life, I surrendered the right to have other women as sexual partners. Do you get it? When I received her, I surrendered my rights to other things. When I received the right of marriage, I surrendered the right of uh, shacking up. When I received the right of a parent, I, I should, as a good parent, surrender the right of other, uh, leaving my family, abandoning them and living in another house, doing, you know, be having other baby mamas. When I receive Jesus, I surrender. When I receive Jesus and have the right to become his child, I surrender the right to be a child of the devil. That means I don't want to obey the Father, Satan. I want to believe God the Father. How many get that? There's a divine exchange that happens there. And so what we need to do is see it in summary here. And you can see my explanation there about some of the Greek. I didn't want to get into that but uh, today very much, but you'll see I have a little... Um, Asterisk there. The NET translation by Dr. Daniel Wallace helps you understand that. But in summary, there's those who rejected Jesus and there's those who received Jesus. Still today, there's those who reject him and those who receive him. Sadly, Jesus was rejected by the majority of the Jewish people because their hearts were hardened. Because their hearts were hard, everything Jesus was saying was just bouncing right off. It wasn't getting planted in and producing fruit. Do you see that today in other people's lives and people around you? You're talking about Jesus, but they don't receive it. You're talking about Jesus, but they don't receive it. That's because of their heart. They'll get exactly what they want in the end. God does not force people to heaven, nor does he push them into hell. Let me say that again. You get exactly what you want in the end. You are a free moral being with the freedom of choice. You are not, you are not uh, 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 kidnapped into heaven, and you're not shoved into hell. Somebody tweet that for me, please. You are not shoved into heaven. No, excuse me. You are not kidnapped into heaven or shoved into hell. You make the choice. 
We see that those who received him are those who accepted and fully trusted him. To those he gave the privilege of becoming children of God. Now here's something that we need to take serious about Jesus in the book of John. There's two main places where he deals with those who are rejecting him. And we need to hear that today so we don't be like them. And then I'm going to end with those who accept him. Can I get an amen for that? We're not going to leave it on a bad note. How many want to be children of God? Don't want to go to hell with the devil. Boo him all, right? Okay. Boo him all? Let's try like this. When I say heaven, y'all say he uh, yes. Y yeah. No, when I say heaven, y'all say yeah, heaven. Heaven. When I say hell, y'all say no, hell. Hell. There we go. It took me a minute to click in. It's like, am I rapping or am I preaching? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm confused. Okay. Because I'm trying to keep you second service people involved, okay? Look at John, or look at the notes, and you can reference this for your time in future study. In John chapter 6, 25 through 70, we meet some of these sassy Jewish people that do not want to trust in Jesus. Now, we do see that the faithful Jews who were serving the Father, doing what God wanted them to do, and were waiting for the true Messiah, having the prophecies right, were drawn by the Father and were transferred to the Lordship of Jesus. So those who did accept him were because they were already doing what was right. If they really loved Moses, they would love Jesus. If they were really obeying God, they would follow Jesus. And that's why he said in John 6, 45, everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. That's what Jesus said. Now, those Jews who rejected the faith of Moses and they followed the traditions of men instead, they looked good on the outside, but they were sinful on the inside. Whitewashed tombs, hypocrites, snakes and vipers, Jesus called them. They rejected the faith of Moses and lived by mere traditions of men, and they rejected Jesus because they lacked faith in God to provide the true bread of life. And that's why he said in John 6, 64, some of you do not believe. You do not believe. And that was their problem. They just did not believe God. Now in another passage in John chapter 8, 31 and onward, Jesus called the Jewish people who rejected his message, this real harsh term, you ready for this? Children of the who? The devil. Children of the devil. El diablo. Muy mal, right? Because they did not have God as their father. And he reiterated those points in verses 45 and in John 8, 47. Now here's how it's summarized. Whoever belongs to God, here's what God says. And for this reason, you don't hear what I'm saying because you don't belong to God. How many want to learn more about this? Amen. Let's go to John chapter 8, verse 31. Go there with me quickly because I want to warn you the same way Jesus warned us about not being children of the devil. And I want to end on a good note, being children of God, because once again, that's the good news. Now watch this. To the Jews who had believed in him, these were those who were starting to take serious what he was saying. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is showing them, believing in me just can't be fire insurance. You don't just believe in me so you don't go to hell. You believe in me so you can hold on to my teachings and live a free life, a God kind of life, not one wrapped up in hypocrisy and sin, one that is free with joy and peace and goodness and kindness because sin 
sin and bondage takes away all of those things. Now, right here and there, these Jewish people should have just said, amen, Jesus. Amen. I'm with you. I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I want to hold to your teachings. I just don't want to be a fair-weather Christian, come to church whenever the weather is good, love you whenever the weather is good in my life. Whenever things turn bad, I'll turn my back on you. No, I'm going to hold on to your teachings. I'm not going to let go. I'm going to be a committed follower, and I want to know that truth so I'm free. I don't fall for the lies of the enemy. They should have just said amen, and the chapter would have been over. But they didn't. They get sassy with Jesus. They start arguing with Jesus. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we shall be set free? See, right here, Jesus is talking about spiritual freedom, spiritual rebirth, and all they're pointing to is their natural birth, going, don't you know who we are? We're from the chosen race of Abraham. We are Israelites. We aren't slaves. We got knowledge of God. We're not pagans worshiping dumb idols. We're not worshiping the cubs. We're worshiping Jesus. It's quiet when I preach like that, though I want the Cubs to win. But people worship sports and all these things. And back then they had their own idols. We have our idols today as sports and entertainment. And they say, we're we're not idol worshipers. We're Abraham's descendants. How can you say, Jesus, that we're going to be free? Put that in today's vernacular. I go to church. I was baptized. I was confirmed. My father's a pastor. My, my family goes to church all the time. What you saying, Jesus? I need to be free from something. I'm good. I'm a good person. See, that's how Jesus was talking to them. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. What happens to everyone who sins? They become a what? Slave to sin. Sin will keep you longer than you ever want to stay and will charge you more than you want to pay. Are you listening to me? Sin is a wicked slave master used by the devil. The devil will tempt you with the highlights of sin. He'll say, oh, look at what you can have at this party and at this place and at this, at this person's house. But he won't show you you bent over the toilet puking your brains out all night long. He'll show you this video and this thing about sex and all this. But he won't show you the STD in the clinic or the abortion or, or the man who leaves you when you're pregnant, ladies. Right? Sin comes as, as, as first as something you want and desire, but then it turns into slavery. And it makes a slave out of everyone. To the husband that, that looks at his secretary, the devil will say, look how, look how great this illicit sex will be. You can have it in a hotel and keep it as a secret. And the devil will tempt with that sin, but the sin will then make him a slave and break apart his family. And the children will grow up without their father in the home. And broken family leads to broken lives. And so you have to know the tricks of the devil. All sin leads to sinful slavery. All sin leads to sinful slavery. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Now, notice he starts to use this language of son and family and father. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So he tells him, y'all need to get set free. I know that you're Abraham's descendants. He's like, I'm not dumb. I know who I'm talking to. I know you are from Abraham's lineage. Yet you are looking for a way to kill me because he knew in their heart that they were jealous of him. That they didn't, he, he knew that they, didn't, that they didn't like what he was doing in the land. Yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. You're not receiving what I'm telling you. I'm telling you what I've seen in my father's presence, and you're doing what you have heard from your father. Whoa. He's like, I'm doing what my father does, and be honest, you're doing just what your father does. Now, this is where they started to get a little bit offended, and it's okay to offend with the truth. Amen? 
Don't offend with, you know, being mean and harsh to people. But if the truth offends, I would rather be on God's side than man's side. I'd rather win God's favor than a popularity contest. Amen. I'm glad that I don't have to get voted in every year whether or not I'm your pastor. I started this church without you. I'll be here when you leave. Amen. Praise God. But I hope that you stay for a little while. Amen. Where can I vote for my pastor? Well, I started this without you. I'll be here without you. Amen. So just stick around for a little while. I think it will be good. But that's, that's, that's how Jesus was too. Jesus was like, hey, I know there's a kingdom. I'm a king there. And this is how it's going to be. It's my way or the highway to hell. Does anybody want to go on the highway to hell? No, you don't want to go with ACDC to hell, do you? That's an old rock and roll song. If you were Abraham's children, now Jesus responds, then you would do just what Abraham did. You would do what he did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your father. Second time he told him, God is not your father. You are not really acting like Abraham. You have another father, and you're acting just like him. And they understand what he's saying because it gets real personal here. We aren't illegitimate children. They protested. The only father we have is God himself. If you want to make it spiritual, Jesus, okay, well, I'll tell you, we got God as our father. And you know, sometimes people with the religious mentality, they'll say, yeah, I believe in God, so what? I know that God is real. Maybe they'll even say, I believe in Jesus. This kind of belief is not what God is looking for. He's looking for someone that truly trusts and opens their heart to him and surrenders all who has room in their heart for his word. Now, this is where it gets tight, but it's right. Jesus said to them, okay, you want to start saying God's your father? Let me break it down. If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Why aren't you all getting this? It's because you're unable to hear what I say. Have you ever, uh, as a parent, ever talked to your child? Maybe they want to go, like my children want to go to Chuck E. Cheese every day of the week, nonstop, 24-7. It's like I should just pay Chuck E. to come live in my house and save some money and put some toys in there because they want to go there all the time, right? And, I, and they'll ask me, can we go to Chuck E. Cheese? Can we go to Chuck E. Cheese? I'll be like, no, we're not going to Chuck E. Cheese. Like, can we go to Chuck E. Cheese later on today? Like after we do all these other things? No, we, we can't go to Chuck E. Cheese because it's not the right day. Well, if it was the right day, could we go to Chuck E. Cheese? And I'm like, y'all ain't hearing me you're not getting this why is my language not clear you're not paying attention your what your ears may be hearing but your mind isn't listening and Jesus was saying to them you aren't listening to what I'm saying the words are coming here and going right out they're not hitting your heart and he says you can't hear because you don't want to hear now verse 44 is where it gets tight but it's right you belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So anybody disagrees with Jesus, on the side of the devil. Anybody doesn't believe the truth of God is a liar. Let God be true and let every man, every man be a liar, the Bible says elsewhere. Yet because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Can anyone prove me guilty of sin? If I am not, if I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you don't hear is that you do not belong to God. So put that together with what we're learning today. I know it's tough for a lot of us to think about this. But if sweet grandma's not born again, she's a child of God. My aunt and uncles are not born again. They're children of God. 
If teenagers across this land, especially in this city, are not born again, they're children of God, if, uh, are children of the devil. If you are not born again, you are not a child of God. You are a child of the devil. This is from the curse of Adam. This is how serious that Jesus came to die on the cross for us. Why do you think he died on the cross? He died on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven and we could receive a new life, that we might be adopted by the Father, so that we could be transferred from the kingdom of darkness, from the abusive, wicked father of the devil, and brought into the kingdom of light with God the Father as a part of our family, to be in the family of God, to literally say to our Father, Abba Father, which in Aramaic means Daddy Father, poppy father my close father the one that I love that's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name what an honor it must have been for those first Jewish believers to now understand that everybody could have a close relationship with the father not just some prophets whoever believed whoever received Jesus could go directly to the father through him Jesus said there is no other way to the father except through him he said I'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except by me and here in this passage Jesus is clearly teaching us that if you are not born again you are of your father the devil now, aren't you happy today that God the Father wants to adopt you? That if today you're not of God, you can be. So all of us had to be born again to become children of God. So there was no one here that ever got the right to become a child of God except by believing and receiving of, in Jesus. Is that not true? Does anybody here have a better way or a different way to become a child of God? No, the only way that Bible tells us is by believing and receiving. So there is no excuse if you go to hell. I want you to listen to C.S. Lewis and the way that he puts it, because I think it puts it in a great way. C.S. Lewis said it like this. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and to those whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Do you get the difference? In the end, there are those who have said to God, you're talking to God going, Thy will be done, Father. Not my will, but your will. But then there are those that God says to the people, your will be done. Exactly what you said you're going to get. There are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those two from whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find those who knock, it is opened. Those who truly desire life and light in this world will be drawn towards Jesus. Those who desire joy in this world beyond just the shallow pleasures of this world will be drawn to Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of joy. Jesus is the fullness of light. So no one can miss heaven. No one will miss it. Anyone who truly seeks after the God who created them and the source of all joy will be filled. As one person said, we've all been created with a God-shaped hole inside of us and we'll never be satisfied until he fills it. And another one said it similar to this, that uh, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So all of us here today who have not been born again, if you are here and you haven't been born again, listen to your heart. Is your heart seeking for joy beyond what this world can give you? This is a transcendental signpost pointing you to Jesus. Are there things inside of you that can't be satisfied no matter all that you've done? This is another indication, a transcendent indication that there's more than this world. Seek God and you will find him. Receive him and believe and he will give you joy unspeakable full of glory. Amen. Now look at your neighbor and say, that was just the introduction. 
I got to get to the message in closing here today. The message is now how to receive and believe because we all want to be children of God, right? Well, let's go to that famous passage, John chapter 3, read 20 verses and see how Jesus taught us to receive him. John chapter 1 tells us that's the only way we can become children of God. John 6 and 8, and especially 8, what we just read, shows us what happens when we don't receive him. But let's go to the heart of the matter. Let's go to this famous passage of John 3.16 and the ones around it that fully teach us how to believe and receive. Now look at this context here, right at the beginning, John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish, Jewish ruling council. Do you see right here? Jesus is talking to his own. He's talking to the Jewish people. This is not, like I said before, a noob. This is someone experienced. This is someone that probably has more education than me or equal to me. This is someone that spent his whole life studying God, and now he is going to find himself outside of God, and he's going to have to make a decision. Does he receive what Jesus says and come into a relationship with God, or does he remain on the outside? So how much more should all of us take this serious? If a religious man way more knowledgeable than most of us here had to get in through believing and receiving, do you think you're going to get in by your church attendance? Do you think you're going to get in because you know a few Bible verses? You came here today. You're a nice person. My friend, the only way you're getting into the kingdom of God is by being born again. If that's what Jesus said to the greatest of the ruling council of the Jewish people, this man named Nicodemus, basically saying to the Pope, this is what you got to do, man. There's no other way. What do you think God says to you? The same exact thing, take it serious. There was a man uh, named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God. See, he's starting to do the right thing. He's listening to Jesus. He's seeing the miracles. No one can uh, perform the signs unless, they, unless God were not with them. Okay, that's cool. Now watch where Jesus goes. Watch where Jesus takes this man in seconds. And by the way, this is where we take everybody when we preach the gospel. On the back of our flyers, what does it say? Have have you been born again? I don't care what church you go to. I don't care who your mommy or daddy is. I don't care if you've been confirmed or baptized. Here's the question. Have you been born again? John chapter 3, verse 3. Verse 3. Jesus replied, it don't matter what you think about me in that way, that I'm a good guy teaching good things, doing miracles, and it doesn't matter what I think about you being a good guy, being a Jewish ruler in the synagogue. It don't matter either way. This is what it comes down to. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Boom. Mic drop. Nicodemus, you're still a child of the devil. You've done all that, and you're still a child of the devil. No, old Nicky, better get born again, son. Come on. Right? He didn't say to him, well, you already are a child of God. You've been born again. You're so awesome, Nicodemus. Let's hang out. No, he doesn't say that. He says, let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you the truth right now. Very truly, I tell you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So if you're not born again, do you get to see the kingdom of God? Does anybody in this universe who is not born again get to see the kingdom of God? If you don't see the kingdom of God, what do you see then, my friend? King, kingdom of hell, the darkness, the, the death that has come from the curse of Adam. It's that simple. There, there, there is nobody waiting at the uh, adoption agency, waiting to go to the Father God or Father the devil. You're at one or the other right now. That's where you are right now. You're either in God's house, and it's a great big house, and there's lots of fun going on there, and you're hanging out with Jesus. Read chapter 2 because he is the life of the party. You are a child of a king 
or you are on your way to hell. The devil has lied to you, deceived you, plugged your ears to the things of God. Your heart is hard, and you get exactly what you deserve, a life with uh, uh, eternal damnation, an existence without God. No pity, no mercy will be given to you. You chose, you decided, you get it. That's what Jesus said. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now, Nicodemus, you got to have a little patience with him. And this is what I want to say to everybody here, is that though there is no middle ground between children of God and children of the devil, God is patient with children of the devil, children of Adam and Eve who are sinful, who are seeking him to know the truth. God is patient with seekers. He's not so patient with the other ones. He kept calling them snakes and vipers and whitewashed tombs, children of the devil. He was really harsh with them. But right here, he's patient, and this, and this is encouraging encouraging for me because I like to know that Jesus is patient with us in our questions. And so even as a child of God, I know my dad's good. I know my dad's good. I, I'm a dad, and I'm a good dad. And let me just tell you, I know what it's like to discipline my kids. I know what it's like to try to protect my family from the bad guys. And I hope that through all of that, I keep the character of still being good. I want to be good with my children, good and righteous and justice and the things that I do. And I, and I want to be patient in all of those things. And so we see Jesus is not just flippantly going, you're a child of the devil, Nicodemus. What's wrong with you? Why don't you get what I'm saying? No, he takes his time with Nicodemus. But he does. Jesus does get a little sassy with him, too, at some point. You'll see it. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus said. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And i got to say my little joke right here. So basically what Nicodemus is saying, should I go to my mom's house or go to the nursing home, get out the Vaseline and go, hey, mom, I'm coming back in and do that. That's what he said. That's literally what the man said. This is what a theologian, and you spend his entire life studying the Bible. When Jesus is breaking stuff down to him about being born again, the only thing he can think about is going back into his mother's womb. Is that how we're born again? How many of us can say amen to that? That would be messy and painful. Jesus answered, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. And water, there's the Word of God that washes over us and cleanses us and revives us and brings us back to life. And that's uh, and the Spirit, there is God the Holy Spirit. And here he gives the, 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 the concept, flesh gives birth to flesh. Your mom and dad got together, had you. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So you can't get a, a spiritual birth from doing fleshly things. Only the Spirit can do it. That's why religious works, going to church all the time, doing anything physical will never get you there. It's only surrender, receiving and believing here in your heart that gets you born again. Now he starts to get a little sassy with them. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. You shouldn't be surprised at that because the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from, where it's going. So is everyone born of God. So he's like, man, you should know about spiritual things, Nicodemus. You should know about this stuff. And then now Nicodemus, he's going to get a lick in here in just a minute, but that's okay. Because he's like, how can this be, Nicodemus said. Now Jesus goes, you are Israel's teacher. You are a teacher. You are teaching a nation. You are in charge of this stuff. How do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we, look at how now he goes to the plural. We speak of what we know. Who is the we there? God the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. He just starts breaking it down. Man, you don't know this. What is wrong with you, Nicodemus? The Father and myself and the Holy Spirit have been trying to tell you this through Jeremiah, through Isaiah. You've had 4,000 years of history to look back and get all this stuff right. Now you see me here doing the miracles. Why aren't you understanding this? I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify of what we've seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, 
and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Who wrote the book of John? Okay, y'all quick, right? Y'all still with me? I know it's getting close to closing time. Closing time. Okay, now listen. Who wrote the book of John? John. Who's the one that wrote the book of Revelation? John. So the disciples did see heavenly things, didn't they? Nicodemus got left behind with the chickens. Well, we don't know where he ended up in this scenario, but basically right now he's getting left with the chickens, and Jesus is like, but I'm going to bring people up to heaven. I'm going to show them there's more than just here. And you know what? Book of Revelation ain't so scary once you know you're on God's side. If you're not living right with Jesus, all of a sudden you start getting scared. You're like, whoa, where am I in this? Where's, where's the horse, four horsemen of the apocalypse coming? They coming to my house? They coming to get me? You know, where's the beast, the antichrist? But you're living for Jesus. You're like, go get him, Jesus. Go get him. Yeah, do it. Because you're on the right side. And so Jesus showed him a place, the, the heavenly place, the thrones, all of those beautiful things. And he says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Here's a little bit of theology. Between the time of all the Old Testament and Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, people were in a place called paradise. They were not able to go into heaven yet because they had not yet been born again. All of their obedience was by faith, looking forward to the Messiah to come. And so that place known as paradise or Abraham's bosom is where Jesus descended in his time in the grave. Because people were like, what did Jesus do for three days? What he did was go there and get God's people and bring them up to heaven. That's why the Bible says, in Ephesians chapter 4 that he, he, he who descended is also the one who ascended and he led the captives into the presence of God and then he gave gifts unto men there on the day of Pentecost as an outpouring of building the church so no one yet had been in that presence yet as he had been and he said but I've been there and I've come right down here and then he says in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the serpent and the, the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And that's a story back in the Old Testament where the people disobeyed Moses. They didn't listen to Moses, and God sent them plagues and diseases and snakes, and they were killing all of them. And then Moses said, God, have mercy on them. Don't destroy them. And then God said, look, just pick up one of the sticks, uh, one of the snakes, put it on a stick and raise it up and say, y'all believe God is in this thing. is going to change your heart if you repent of the stupid stuff you've been doing because he's judging you. If you can admit your sin and you deserve judgment, but you don't want it anymore, repent, look to this snake, and God will forgive you. Jesus now says, I'm going to be lifted up like that snake. I'll become sin for you. That's where the Bible says he became sin for us, lifted up on the cross so that all would look to him and go, you took my punishment. You're there because I should be there. I deserve to be there, but you did that for me. I believe in you. You're my Lord and Savior. You get saved. Isn't that awesome? Read that story about Moses and the snake. It's awesome. Maybe not as good as the Avengers, Power Rangers, Batman, but it's still pretty good. Y'all look at me. Y'all know. Get excited about the Bible. Can I get an amen? amen? Read your Bible stories. Be like, yeah, I know about the serpent and Moses. I know about that. Learn it. Okay. Now you understand this is the context of the world's most famous verse. Let's read it on the count of three. John 3, 16. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Quickly in closing, watch this. If I don't believe in Jesus and return, receive eternal life, what, what it's going to happen to me? I'm going to what? Perish. Do you see it? By default, I'm going to perish. By default, I'm already there. So somebody's like, I'm a good person. I don't need that religious stuff. I'm all right. No, you ain't. You know, you ain't all right. And when I go witnessing, you know, it's like, I'll stop. And I'll be like, hey, you guys have time to talk about Jesus. And they'll be like, no, I'm good. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not good. 
You're going to go to hell. You're not okay. You're going to perish. And then sometimes we talk to people about being born again. They're like, oh, I'm okay with that. I just like to go to church and believe in Jesus. Like as if being born again is like a spiritual upgrade. Like, yeah, I'll take the navigator and I'll get the sunroof with it, you know. Oh, but you can you really afford the sunroof? It's another $600. Well, I don't know. I still got the navigator and I like it. So I'll just go without the sunroof. That's how they think being born again is. Like, I love Jesus. I haven't been born again. I don't know if I really need it. Jesus is like, you can't see the kingdom of God without it, and right now you're going to perish. That's what's happening. Now, to clarify what the preacher is saying here, let's hear what Jesus said. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. What did God not send his son to do? To condemn the world. But to do what? Save the world. That's why Jesus wasn't going around saying, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. I cannot wait to see you in hell. You're going to... He was not doing that. He was going around, I want to save you. Come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. He was drawing people to him, not pushing them away because he already knew they were going to hell. That was already a done deal. That's already been sealed from the time of Garden of Eden. The curse had already been dropped on everybody. That's why he's coming to them going, come on, come on, come on, let's go. Follow me follow me if you look at Jesus's words he's always bidding people to come come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden come to me all those who are thirsty come he's inviting you in he says no the son didn't come to condemn the world but to save the world whoever believes in him is not condemned how many believe in Jesus today aren't you happy you're not condemned but watch whoever does not believe stands condemned what already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Everybody say, break it down. Here it is. This is the verdict. Don't get no more simpler than this. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now, it's your choice. And when you have sin in your heart and you don't want to let it go, you hate the light. Just like when I wake up in the morning and I turn on that bathroom light and it blares me right in the eyes and I see the boogies, my hair's all messed up, I, I got zits all over me. I'm like, oh, no, Jesus, help me. And I turn off that light and I go back to bed. It may just be me, but I'll take a little something to drink and I'll be like, I'll deal with this in a little bit and I'll go back to bed. Okay, listen, th that's how we feel about our sin. We, we get around the Bible, we get around Christians, we get around church, we get around somewhere where the Bible's being, being preached. Light comes on, sin is exposed. All of our greed, all of our selfish ambition, all these things that are not right. But guess what? If truly we want to serve God, we appreciate the light. We see who we are. And then we fall upon our knees and confess Jesus. And when we look back at that reflection, we see Jesus because we become his child. And just like when you see Lucas, you see me, you see Jesus in my heart. And Jesus comes out through the outside in my actions. And, you know, there's a lot of things here that we're all ashamed of that we've done. And on judgment day, they will be played and we will be judged by them. But when the devil tries to put on that DVD from Joe in 1994 and 1993 and Crazy Joe and he pushes play, you know all he's going to see is the blood of Jesus. When the devil tries to remind you of your past, all he'll see is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So when the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future in the hell, lake of fire, right? But all we are now in the children of God are the righteousness of God. The Bible says he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And so that's the verdict, my friend. That's where it all comes down to. Everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. No, I don't want to talk about my sin. I don't want to get real with God. I want to hide like a little cockroach down here. I want to be in darkness. 
But whoever, verse 21, lives by the truth comes into the light. Ah, show me who I am, God, so I can be like you. So that it may be plainly seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So now the choice is yours. Do you want to receive Jesus, believe in Jesus, total surrender of your life to have the right to become his child? Or do you want to keep all the sin and the evil as your own father, the devil, did? I choose Jesus, and I surrender my right to sin. I surrender. I don't want sin anymore. I ask you guys this in, in, in all sincerity. Are you done with sin yet? Do you want to break up with the devil yet? Like, I'm done with that abusive guy. Like, I don't want to be with the sin has always made me a slave. I, I, I know it can be tempting to me just like it can be to you, but all I have to do in those moments of temptation is pray, and God just shows me the end of sin, and the end of sin is always death, always death. And so what I think this sermon series is going to do for us as we move past this point is we're going to see how great our God is. We're going to see, like, next chapter, Jesus is making wine at the party. Jesus is hanging out saying, I came to initiate the party between God and men. This will blow your mind. Y'all ain't even ready for the marriage symbology, the symbolism of the Bible when it comes to marriage. The whole thing was a divine setup. The whole thing was a divine. From the very beginning, it was all a setup to show us how we are to be married and in relationship with God. And, and, and the Bible says that's what he was doing there in John. He was showing us that. And then you start looking at how Jesus was healing certain people, even the ones like the pagan Roman soldiers, the same soldiers that were oppressing the Jewish people. Jesus is healing their children. I mean, does that blow your mind? The book of John has the story of the adulterous woman. Remember that? She gets caught in adultery. They want to stone her. All they know is the truth of the law. They have no grace. And Jesus says, okay, well, let me show you what grace looks like. Those of you who don't have sin, you throw the first stone. Step out here and show us you don't have any sin and throw that first stone. And then they drop them. But then Jesus doesn't say, hey, keep back to doing them tricks, girl, double up, money up. No, Jesus then says to the prostitute, the adulterous woman, whatever, he says, he says, woman, go and sin no more. There's something better for you than this. And you just keep going through the stories of the Bible, Jesus walking on water. Do you think he's doing that? Just to be like, look, I'm bad. I know it. And he's just like moonwalking on the water. Like he's not, he's not doing some Michael Jackson thing. What he is saying is, I made this. He said, I control this. I control water. I control air. Air is nothing to me. And now we know through like biology and microbiology and physics and all these things, all everything is is just particles, and they're smaller than grains of sand. And all Jesus is saying is he can move them, throw them, do whatever he wants with them at any time. He's that awesome. And you follow through the book of John to those other signs, to those other miracles, the, the multiplying of food. It's not just that Jesus is the life of the party, which is that great message of, of, of him making the wine at the, at the wedding. But when he starts multiplying food, what he's saying is, I'm your provider. I provide all the time. I never let you down. You may not see a way out of this, but I always got a way out of this. I'll never let you beg for bread, the Bible says. The righteous are never forsaken. But how do we get to receive those signs, walk in those signs, see these awesome things like Peter, walk on water, like the disciples, see, uh, you know, the food multiplied, see all these great things. You got to be his children. You got to be children of God. And so here it is in summary. Thank you for your patience today. Be born again as God's child by believing and receiving 
Jesus as God the Son in the flesh who died for your sins. Can you stand up with me today and give Jesus a hand clap for his word? Amen. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Band, would you come, please, in closing? Can we just worship and pray just for a few moments before we go? Would you just close your eyes right now and meditate on who you are between God, you know, between you and God, who are you? You're one of two people, child of God, child of the devil. And so if you're a child of the devil, would you repent and turn to Jesus and receive and believe? And if you're here today and you would say, I am a child of God, would you start to thank him right now for all that he's done in your life? Just start with what he did when he changed you. Think about your testimony that day you accepted Jesus. I'll never forget that day, November 5th, 1995. I was born of the Spirit, born again. It was a marvelous day. I'm thankful for that. Just talk to him right now for the next few moments. We're going to close with worship and prayer. Each person here should be talking to their Creator, either coming to be born again or coming as a child of God, thankful, thankful for what He's done. I want to make time to pray for things that you may need as a child. And the Bible says, when you ask for bread, he'll never give you a snake. He'll always meet your needs. So you don't have to worry about God not hearing us or answering needs. But before we ask for another thing, let's be thankful for the things we have. Can some of you who are already born again, can you remember the loneliness that you felt? I don't mean to make you depressed in any way, but can you just tap into that just for a moment and be thankful you're not that way anymore? Just like, man, thank you, God. Thank you. I'm not depressed like I used to be. I, I, I sometimes, even me, I forget, man, what misery I faced before I met Jesus. And I don't thank him enough. Sometimes I forget that I was adopted. Sometimes we can get so comfortable as children of God that we can become spoiled brats. Not that God doesn't love us or care for us, but you remember the story of the prodigal son? Well, he also had a brother. We don't talk about him much. You know why? Because I think it stings when we do. It makes us feel convicted. See, the prodigal son wild out, did crazy stuff, came back. God the Father gave him a party. It was awesome, right? But we see something happening with that other brother. He gets jealous. He goes, why don't you throw parties for me? I've been working here this whole time. And the father says back to him, what I have is yours. You see, that son became like a slave in the father's house and forgot his identity. Sometimes we as Christians can get so busy going to church, doing these things, that there will literally be a new Christian in the church more excited about Jesus, experiencing more joy than us, because we forgot that it's all about being in the father's house. We just made it about work, 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 work. We stopped to enjoy his presence. We stopped to have the party. Basically what the prodigal son's father was saying, man, you could have had a party anytime you wanted. It was your mentality that made you think you were a slave. You treated yourself like that. I was always here. That's why I love being around new Christians. They remind me of what I got that sometimes I forget. I got a father who loves me. I got a father that takes care of me few moments on your own, on your own. Be thankful. Be thankful right now. You're in the Father's presence through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Come on. Gracias, Señor.